books with Aaron, Tim, and Wayne. I'm Aaron. This is Wayne. And this is Tim. Well, we are doing this without Paul this week, and I even did the show notes. My copious, copious show notes. I, I yeah, I feel like I feel like that uh, this is a failing on, on Paul's part. <laughs> we don't need Paul. Yeah. He ha- he has revealed that he is he is he is the fat on the bone. We can just trim that off. We are doing this lean and mean, and we're going to have no idea what comics come out next week. That is true. We, if you're looking for which comics come out next week, you are listening to the wrong podcast. So there. So guys, I can't help but notice that uh, you know Brian Michael Bendis has been writing our Superman books for over a year now. And uh, you know we got big changes. You know, yeah, he aged, he I aged, Superman books. <laughs> he aged up Jonathan Kent, which uh, uh. I think most of us didn't care for. Um, he's bringing back the uh, Legion of Superheroes, and uh, Paul and I read that uh, uh, Legion Millennium book that uh, neither one of us much cared for. And big, big news! And uh, I believe it was a New York Times article this week. Bendis reveals. That come this December in your DC Comics, Superman reveals to the world that he is Clark Kent, thus doing away with his secret identity. And, uh, wow. Yeah, you know, I used to really like Bendis. I mean, I think we even had an episode of the show that was something along the lines of, uh, you know, a Bendis love episode at one point. Uh-huh. but. Since he's gone to DC, I have not cared for anything he's done. Uh, he's ruined Superman for me. I, I, ha- I have enjoyed a lot of what he's done. I haven't enjoyed all of what he's done, and I am uh, not excited to hear about the uh, the Clark Kent reveal. So, so did uh, Tony Stark talk him into into unmasking? I think that's exactly what happened. You know, it's a reverse I- unmasking. He throws the glasses on. Yeah, will Doctor Fate cost a spell to make everyone forget? Yeah, yeah. I, wait, go, take it, Tim. Uh, you know, uh, this this sums up to me why I don't read Superman anymore. Because the person in charge of Superman is taking away the one fundamental thing that I really liked about Superman. Yeah, yeah, he's gone down the list and taken away everything I enjoyed about the series right before he took started writing. He took away Jonathan. He took away Lois for quite a while there, and now he's taking away Clark Kent. It, it's like he went down the list. He's like, what is Wayne like? And check, check, check. Yeah, I, you know, there are things that uh, that he has done uh, that I've enjoyed. Like when Lois came back, I really liked the edgy reporter that she was. Um, and I, I re- I'm really enjoying the Lois Lane comic that Greg Ruck is writing. Um, I am not wild about what he did with Jonathan. Um, I feel like there was a lot more stories to tell uh, in the uh, the younger Superboy version, and I I mean I, I really enjoyed that that relationship. But you know, with uh, Lois and Superman being mom and dad with a prepubescent boy, um, and now we don't get that. And you know, one of the things that, that I really find disagreeable is that we spend no time. In these relationships. So, you know, Jonathan is aged up and now he's 17 years old and now they have ushered him off the the uh, present day storylines by sending him off to the future. And I just, number one, 
spectacularly bad parents, uh, Lois and Superman, because uh, they let him go off with a man that they don't know, you know, the returned from the dead Jor-El. Um, and then they're... Who was you know, seemingly a bad guy. Yeah. And then they're advocating that he, you know, go off, you know, to play in the future with the Legion also seems, you know, seems unlikely when you've missed so much of your child's life that you would advocate him going off and doing that, you know, when he's still, you know, a child. So, and how do you explain to the world, the, you know, the school he was going to, all of that, that yeah. you suddenly don't have a kid anymore? Yeah, exactly. Isn't exactly. that an easy fix? Can't you be like, okay, we're going to go to the future and then have Superman bow out after an issue going, okay, you've got this under control. That's at least yeah. understandable. Uh-huh. Nope, just take my kid. It's fine. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. I mean, so you know, super bad parenting. You know, under the 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 uh, light of our yellow sun, he has bad parenting skills. You know, far and away uh, that of mortal men. <laughs> you know, my bad parenting is much worse than your bad parenting. Um, so it, colossally bad. And now this reveal of Clark Kent's ident- identity uh, is. The thing that makes Superman differentiates Superman from any other superhero, right? I mean, the fact that Superman has this humble upbringing, that he is so in touch with um, his human side, that you know, so many so many writers in the past have commented that you know, Superman is the costume, Clark Kent is the is the real, right? Whereas. It's just it, whereas Bruce Wayne is the costume, Batman is the real. So there's that differentiation between those two primary characters in DC Comics. I just think this is number one. I think it's a mistake in the way we tell these stories. Bendis, according to the New York Times article, has no plans to reverse it. Of course, we know this is comics, and at some point it'll get reversed, whether it's Bendis who does it or not. But it it astounds me that we seem to have done this fairly recently. You know, it was done just recently in the New 52, right? Um, I think think it's a colossal mistake in the storytelling. Well, the the good news is it only lasts a year, right, before they take him off stage, too. Yeah. (laughs) I I just... Uh, It's terrible. It's it's like he doesn't understand the character. But but when he writes the character, you know, his voice, he nails Superman's voice. Bendis is really good with the dialogue, yeah. Yet, so a core aspect of the character, he's just doing away with. Yeah, I'm I'm really disappointed in that. But you know, that's not the only thing I'm disappointed at at DC Comics right now. You know, we talked a week or so ago about uh, the Gen Five changes that are coming up. You know that uh, Batman, you know Bruce Wayne as Batman won't be Batman pretty soon. They're going to shuffle somebody else into that role. Uh, that we can expect other changes like Jonathan uh, becoming Superman. Uh, you know that, and it's that whole '90s. Let's switch up the characters. And again, this is something that we've done fairly recently with you know. Uh, um, Jim Gordon becoming Batman in the not too... I mean, God, that was, what, three years ago? It wasn't that long ago mm-hmm. that we switched up Batman. And it just doesn't seem like we were spending any time with our core characters. I, it just it blows my mind. You know, I, Yeah, I'm not sure what to think of this 5G thing. I, I was wondering if it was going to be like alternate reality stuff or a separate line. 
as someone who is who's uh, been visibly uh, upset <laughs> about <laughs> them messing with a core character in, in comic books, I, I get people being annoyed. But I also, on the other hand, I, I get the I get the idea I get the thought that change does sell comic books. You are going to pick up issue one of Jonathan Kent Superman because you're interested mm-hmm. because it's an interesting idea. You know, if they have a battle for the cow, if they have a battle for the cowl or something like that for Batman, I'm going to pick that up because that's interesting to me. Who's going to be? Who's going to actually be Batman? You know, I. I get it, and if it's if it's my favorite character, like I know Superman is for people on this podcast, I'd be pretty pretty mad. Yeah. But at the same time, it's already being kind of ruined now anyway. Well, you know, part of me they've revealed the big story for for December's books, and I know that so that they can you know sell it in the solicits. Again, you know, comics doesn't have. It is rare to have a surprise in comics anymore. You know, Bendis has already told you what's going to happen in that book in December, uh, which is super frustrating. Uh, it does suggest to me, you know, that there is a jump-off point for me in a couple of these titles. Like, I'm, I'm reading both Superman and the action comics, and for the most part, I'm enjoying both of those, even though there are things that annoy me. Uh, I am probably going to be jumping out of the Superman books. And I'd like to point out that I identified at the end of Secret Wars uh, for Marvel that I was like, you know, this is going to be a good opportunity for me to jump out of uh, the Marvel books. And I did. And it's only been recently that I've started picking up Marvel in any... Uh, sort of volume. I've been I've been reading the books on the fringes, like that Great Vision uh, maxi series that was out there. Uh, I, I just I feel like they're creating opportunities for me to drop their books, and and certainly Five G sounds like something that I'm going to wind up dropping because I, I am really not interested in seeing my character sh- uh, change like that. And it's not that I'm a- averse to change. I enjoyed all that stuff that we did back in the nineties. It just seems like it's too soon. I feel like that, you know, again, it's just like, you know, young Jonathan Kent. I feel like we're leaving all these stories, you know, untold. I feel like yeah. there's a lot of opportunity there. And I- I'd like us to I- maybe not exhaust those stories, but let's spend some more time in the status quo before we change it up. Cause I just find that super frustrating. It's a gimmick. And you know, it feels like, uh, you know, we'll slap a few hollow foil covers on that stuff and we'll sell some books, but you know, the gimmicks don't keep people in. It brings new people in and it sells your first couple of books, but those guys don't hang around if there's not a lot of meat there. And I, I'm really concerned about that. Yeah, I don't see myself buying the first issue of any of this 5G stuff. And at that point, the only DC books I'm going to read might be the Walmart ones. Yeah. Because they're going to be the only place I find the characters that I recognize. I know you guys aren't reading it, but the Justice League books by Scott Snyder have been really good as they're they're, they're fighting through their, you know, uh, Doom War thing with Perpetua. Um, they've brought back the Justice Society in those books, like original Justice Society, the real Justice Society, not what we were seeing on on Earth too. And I've really enjoyed that. And you know, the idea is that Justice Society is going to be back in the DC uh, continuity. I'm really wondering how that fits in with a lot of this change that they're doing. You know, are they going to bring they're Justice Society? As G1. I just wonder if uh, 
as they bring you know as they bring them back and start telling justice society stories again is it going to be recognizable as my justice society you know it, it because i i really enjoyed the voicing scott snyder has nailed the voicing of these characters and has really brought uh, you know, you've had all this gloom and doom in this book, and they've really brightened the book by being there. Uh, and I've, I've just super enjoyed that. You do know he's leaving in January, right? Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm aware that there's a lot of change on the horizon. Um, I, I'm just like, wow, I'm enjoying this. I wish I was going to get more of this. You yeah, know? that'd be. I'm suddenly tempted because I love the just the society and yeah you know if they're back in the book and they're recognizable in the book mm-hmm. then i'm very interested in that because i miss the just the society i miss having them as part of the universe yeah the in the the uh current run of justice league the part of the league goes back in, back in the past to you know get the artifact that's missing you know they got to hunt down the MacGuffin, and so they they uh, wind up meeting the Justice Society, which in the current run of DC continuity, our heroes don't know these guys. They never were aware of the Justice Society. So it's news to them that there were was a group of superheroes active in 1941. And it's nice to see that introduction all over again. And then, you know, kind of like as we saw in uh, the Flash books, where like Flash meets Wally West again when Wally West comes out of the Speed Force, he you know he kind of starts remembering you know their past together. That starts happening with the Flashes here, where you know our Flash starts uh, remembering Jay Garrick. Um, so it feels like there's some stuff there that they're going to expand on. I just don't know how much time Scott Snyder is going to have to do it before he jumps the book. Yeah, and uh, this whole G five thing seems to be very much tied to because they they describe a lot doomsday clock and that's why justice society isn't supposed to be there is dr man moved the lantern away from uh, alan scott right that's why there was never a justice society and that's why so, it's going to be a year in the making because we had to wait for doomsday clock <laughs> <laughs> it is so, ridiculous but- how late doomsday clock is before we jump off of uh, the DC news, have either of y'all watched Batwoman on the CW? I have. So, uh, have you watched episodes one and two? I have. So, tell me what you think, Wayne. So, when they originally did the crossover and brought Batwoman in last year, there was a lot I liked about it, but I absolutely hated her costume. Uh, I just did not think it looked good. And there was so much in the city that didn't make sense that I was wondering how they were going to do it. So when the sh- show started, I was pl- very pleasantly surprised that they didn't start at that point where everything's established. They mm-hmm. jumped back and did it as a, you know, here's the origin, and it all taking place, at least the first two episodes, taking place before that crossover ever happened. You get to see the first time she puts on the costume, and it's not the costume she'll end up wearing. It is Batman's costume. Right. Uh, which the face doesn't look right in that costume either. It's it's more acceptable because it was it's not her costume. I uh, I've been really surprised by how well done the show is. It is some of the best DC CW TV that I think I've seen. Really enjoying the show. She gets the normal costume in the next episode. And I I just don't think the hair looks right. The wig they have on the mask just, it doesn't look good. They need to 
fix that. Other than that, <laughs> love the show. I really like their villain, Alice, and how they've been handling her. Very, very happy with the show. Have you watched it I yet, did, Aaron? Yeah, I've watched both. I did not care for the pilot, uh, but I really thought they brought their A-game to the second episode. I thought the second episode was much stronger than the first. Uh, I watched it last night and enjoyed it a great deal. Yeah, I was happy they basically come right out and tell you who Alice is right away. That it wasn't oh, yeah. this big, big is she, isn't she mystery? Yeah, you know, the in the original Greg Rucka story, which I think was called Eulogy, um, they hold that reveal that Alice is Beth for a really long time. And boy, they didn't waste any time at all, <laughs> you know, which makes me wonder, is it really her? I mean, you know, I know she's got a lot of the same memories, but, you know, they do lay down an argument for how she could have that information in the second episode. So, but yeah, it, it is uh, really interesting how they've they've made a they've already made a significant change from how the story went in the comic yeah the actress i think is really nailing the crazy just the right kind of crazy yeah without seeming too jokerish yep yeah well hey let's talk about some comic books uh tim you read absolute carnage why don't you talk to us about that wayne did you read this one too yes i did okay um you know, uh, we are on issue four of, I believe, five on this guy. It's a, it's a miniseries uh, that uh, kind of does, it pays homage to an older, an older miniseries back in the 90s called Maximum Carnage. And uh, this issue uh, deals with uh, Venom, the Venom symbiote has had it with Eddie Brock trying to help people and not try to take out Carnage. Uh, he jumps to the next closest uh, person, and the next closest person just happens to be Bruce Banner. So, on one hand, uh, I, I again, I love the H.R. Geiger kind of feel to this book where there, there's it's just an alien landscape of Carnage symbiote uh, creepiness. Uh, but I will say that for being the Hulk and being Venom, there was not enough. There's there was not enough ass kicked in this book for me. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. I mean, if this is the Hulk plus Venom, I wanted to see more destruction. I wanted to see him be badass, and I didn't want to see him be taken out nearly that easily. No, absolutely. Like you, you, you would think. <laughs> yeah. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to see where Carnage went. Oh hell! You know, <laughs> you know, it just threw a wall. That's what I wanted to see, and it's really not what happened. I, I get why I get why Carnage could beat Venom Hulk because it you're unlike with Eddie Brock or anybody else. I feel like the two sides would not be working together as far as the symbiote trying to talk to, try to talk to the Hulk is not going to go well. Right, and maybe it actually lessens the Hulk because you're operating with kind of a a foreign ended and uh, foreign system in your body, basically. So I yeah. can see I can see why Carnage would beat him, but but a lessened Hulk is still a Hulk, right? Right, and more than enough to deal with Carnage. Yeah, and the Hulk skin, I mean. Carnage is symbiote being able to go 
right through the Hulk's skin and skull into his brain. I, yeah. It's the Hulk. I mean, he, he shouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, so putting putting that part aside, I did like I did like uh, Eddie Brock. Um, I feel like the writer has a has a real good handle on who Eddie Brock is, which is he's not a yeah. hero, and he's and he's never been a hero. But he's a guy that, when the chips are down, is going to do his best, and that's that's basically every time he he's tried to be a hero, it's been kind of a, a, a kind of a, a muck up. But like him grabbing the shield and going, "I'm not a hero, but uh, but uh, I'm what we got." That was that was pretty cool. So yeah, this was a uh, taking aside that I, this is a good book. I. Th- uh, the other thing I'm going to say, Wayne, is I think this is going to read much better in trade. Yeah, I agree there. Because it's such and a roller coaster ride. <laughs> have you read any of the tie-in miniseries? No, no, I haven't. This week I finished the uh, Absolute Carnage versus Deadpool one, and I I really loved that book as well. Uh, that it's tied into the series pretty closely in that uh, Deadpool has merged with four different symbiotes at once at one point. Mm-hmm. So Carnage sees him as the unicorn. He's got to take his spine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I didn't pick him up because I, I, I just had a feeling that they would be similar to this book. Uh, you know, kind of creepy, kind of uh, zombie land kind of things. And I'm like, I'm already reading that. Yeah, it, it, it's sad. That's that why I haven't picked up most. You know, and the thing is, is that there's enough space that if they wanted to, they could have they could have put one of those characters in here that they they did the spinoff for. But they tried to sell they tried to sell books. I'm like, eh, I'll pass. Still, like I said, it's a good book. I think it'll read better in trade because then you get the whole the whole picture in one sitting. Whereas, like, I'm breaking up absolute carnage ridiculousness with you know two weeks, four weeks of real life. <laughs> By the time I get back, I'm like. It's it's just a very uh, hard left turn for my brain. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's going to be really good in trade. Yeah. Uh, I said the the tie-ins. I haven't done most of them, but Deadpool was a unique enough one that I've really enjoyed it. So speaking of hard left turns, yeah, uh, something that I would not enjoy in any way, so I've avoided. Uh, uh, Aaron and I picked up X Men One. That's correct. We both did. We did it together. So, uh, funny story about this one is, I went to my uh, I went to my comic book store, and uh, the guy behind the counter was like, "Hey, do you need a decoder?" I'm like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, yeah, we've got a decoder, so uh, you can uh, figure out what he's been writing on, on on all those pages." And I'm like, "You know, we got no time for that." Like, <laughs> like they had a, de- a decoder. Yeah, so like all these to like translate the Krakoan language. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I, no, thank you. I'm not rereading these books. Uh, that's great. So, uh, Aaron, I, I, I'll let you, I'll let you start start running the ball here because I feel like you're going to have a, a better feel for what this book is to the people that's been reading it. So, X Men number one starts right on the heels of the conclusion of the twelve part series. Powers of X and House of X, or Powers of Ten, House of Ten, however you want to pronounce it. I've not ever been quite clear on that. 
but according to this book, it's a brave new world. Mutants around the world are flocking to the island nation of Krakoa for safety, security, and to be part of the first mutant society. Standing between that sacred land and the human world are the heroes of mutantdom, the X-Men. So all the X-Men that you know and love are back to life because Krakoa and uh, Charles Xavier have developed the technology to back up mutants, and uh, when one of them dies, they can immediately bring them back. Bring them back because Krakoa's got these eggs, and uh, they use some various mutant powers, and they can regenerate them. So all your favorite mutants are back. Um, and what we see in this book is that uh, you know we have the ability to establish various. Uh, links to the Krakoan island. So uh, Scott Summers has set up a house up, up on the boon, up on the moon, blue area adjacent. And so he's got, you know, a kind of a, a Krakoan pod there with his house in it. And this book has one of my favorite things in it. I love, love, love anytime they give me a diagram of the superhero hideout, you know, secret base. So back in the day when they'd show you what the Fortress of Solitude looks like or, you know, give you a diagram schematic, you know, so you can say, okay, that's where that is. So when I break into the Fortress of Solitude, that's where they've got the bottle city of Candor. You know, same thing when they would do that with the Batcave. I love those kind of diagrams and really kind of placing that stuff in the real world. And they do that here in this book. And, you know, living up there in what they call Summer House, because, you know, there are various houses um, in uh, Mutantdom now. Uh, at the Summer House, they have got, you know, this, this great layout of where, you know, how everything's set up and the living quarters and what whatnot. And I would like to point out, you've got something like uh, one, two, three, uh, six, nine. You've got nine different uh, bedrooms, nine different, uh, you know, rooming suites. But only three of them interconnect, meaning that you've got a door from a bedroom into another bedroom. And those three connecting bedrooms belong to Wolverine, Jean Grey, and Scott Summers, making it seem like maybe there's some kind of uh, open relationship going on there, that maybe there there is, uh, you know... Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you sleep with Gene. Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, I sleep with Gene on Sundays. Everybody sleeps together. I don't know. But that seems to be what they're suggesting. And certainly body language that we have seen in the Powers and House book seem to suggest that uh, Gene is romancing both Scott and Logan. So, super exciting about that. Uh... <laughs> Uh, elsewhere in the book, uh, we see, you know, the, the mutants have, have, have in the past been very responsive, very reactive to threats. And, you know, given that Moira McTaggart has lived her multiple lives and she knows how all these different alternate futures work, she has been fueling, uh, the the strategies for the X-Men on how to interact with the various threats before they become threats. They're shutting shit down uh, on what the humans are doing. And so they break into this factory. And this is something I don't understand, so maybe you guys can help me. They're, they break into this factory where they're uh, changing humans. They're accelerating human evolution. In fact, they uh, free... This one woman who has uh, who is temporarily displaced, 
You know, they've got the you know strange tachyon ambitions. And I'd like to point out that this woman, who seems to be sort of a a, she looks like she's shot negative. So you know, all the highlights on on her body are white and gray. All the other aspects of her body are black. Uh, so it looks like you know she's some sort of negative universe person. Uh, she looks very similar to a character that Jonathan Hickman wrote in his uh, Fantastic Four book and in his Avengers book. Uh, and you know, I we have commented previously about how some of these character designs look like stuff we've seen before under Hickman, like uh, Charles Xavier walking around with his Cerebro helmet looks an awful lot like Reed Richards from the Ultimate Universe, but apparently is not. Um, so I don't know if he's recycling a design or if uh, this is tied to that character that we saw before. Uh, but here's what I don't understand: you know, humans are trying to put down uh, mutants, right? Because mutants are different than humans. If you're adjusting your evolution, if you're trying to superpower yourself up, what's the difference between you and a mutant? What's the difference? I don't understand what the difference is between a mutant and, say, Captain America. If you, know, you, are, I, if you are asking me for any, <laughs> any explanation on this damn book, you are going to be sorely <laughs> So I can get the difference between mutants and Captain America from the standpoint of they present themselves as the next step in evolution and, you know, they're going to make you extinct versus Captain America is, is the best a human can become. You know, it's all in the presentation. But when you're mutating yourself using genetics, then... No, there is no difference. Yeah, I don't get that. But I also don't get, you know, everyone's okay with the Fantastic Four. Why are they not okay with, you know, I don't know, uh, Cyclops? Other than the fact that Scott Summers is an asshole. Because angst. Um, <laughs> I don't get it. You know, I mean, is it political agenda? Is that is that the difference? Probably. I really, I think it is. It's a case of... A mutated a person that's been changed versus they're born that way to make your race obsolete. It's all I, political. Um, I have I, I, I have tried uh, with varying degrees of, of uh, the the two the two miniseries before this uh, Powers of X, House of X, something like that. Powers of Ten, whatever. I I, I, I tried and I to and to in all fairness, I did not get in on issue one. As far as the miniseries goes, uh, I was sold this. I was sold on this book because I, th- I thought it was going to be, uh, you know, the su- the Summers family dinner, and we got some of that, mm-hmm. which is what I wanted. But uh, I, you got Star Jammers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, there was there were good points here. I'm, I'm not saying uh-huh. I didn't like that part, but right. So I. It's, the character's name is Vulcan. Um, I don't. I. I, I got to tell you, I think that I have managed to avoid uh, any stories with Vulcan in it over the years. I, I spend a lot of time in the book going, "Okay, this is that Vulcan guy," and I know nothing about him. I. I feel like you're smart for doing that. <laughs> um, I think we all know a Vulcan in our lives at one point or another. The one that talks louder than than socially acceptable, and uh, explains things that do not need explaining. Mm. Uh, so that was great. Cable sounded stupid. I at first I thought it was Nathan Gray, 
and right. it's not. It, it's, it's cable, and cable sounds stupid. Okay, that's fine. Um, but it's like Hickman only had so many words, right? <clears throat> and so he he saved all his words for his wordiness about his his mega plot that nobody understands. And then when it came to the Summers House, it was all about less is more. But I, I want that's the part I wanted was more, more interaction, more. Like, I wanted to see an awkward conversation between Jean Grey and, and Cable that I didn't get. I, I wanted to see a little bit of uh, jockeying for Corsair's uh, attention between uh, Scott and Alex. This, this is stuff that I wanted. And this is what I wanted from the entire book. And I just didn't get it. What I got was, I got the impression that if I didn't read from issue one of the damn miniseries, I am never going to understand what's going on. And, yeah, I, well, I, and I got to tell you, having read this, I was like, wow, I'm so glad I read uh, the previous 12 issues because I think I'd been wildly lost. Yeah, the new status quo is so overly complicated that it is – there's no way that a new reader could jump in without being confused. And I hate the status quo that they've set up. The whole being able to reclone them – and death means nothing to these characters anymore. That takes away a lot from the book for me to the point of uh, I have zero interest in ever reading an X-Men book until all of this is undone as it eventually will be. Well, I, oh, I, I, take what, I take what you mean there, Wayne, about like death not having consequences. But I think the consequence is what does, what does, it, what does that ability – what consequence does that have? And I think that's the story that ultimately Jonathan Hickman's going to be telling here. Because, you know, you, you can't have that be the backstop in the long term. Of course that is going to spiral into uh, entropy, right? Because that, that, just, that kind of thing just can't hold from a storytelling aspect. Something awful is going to happen uh, with the board that's been set here. And I think Moira McTaggart is going to wind up being a, a huge villain because she she has uh, forced her will over even that of Charles Xavier and Magneto. I think that uh, she she's going to ultimately become the big bad. Yeah, I really hate what they did with her, too, because she the power of her character was the she was the human among all of them. She was the, you know, she was the only human to ever get the legacy virus. Except now that that's not the case because she was a mutant. And why was it a big deal that she ever had the legacy virus? Because she's just another mutant. Some something terrible is going to be tied to this whole cloning thing. Oh, absolutely! Like absolutely. It, it is not going to be going well for the people that come back from uh, Krakoa eggs. But and, and you know maybe it's like. Uh, What's that Michael Key movie? Do multiplicity, where they all come back dumber every time? Uh huh. Yeah, because when you make a backup of a backup, you're gonna lose something. Yeah. So no, I, ex- I can't I, wait for I like pizza, Steve Magneto. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, I expect horrible things to happen out of all of this. So um, you know, I, people read comic books for different reasons, and I I feel like uh, much like. Much like water polo, where I can I can understand and 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 uh, take t- an understanding of that that must be very very difficult to do, and it's somewhat interesting. Like every four years, mm-hmm. um, I I can't I, I think this is the point where I I just recognize that 
I am just not going to be, I'm just not going to get it. Yeah. And I, I, no. I, I think that's good because that's going to save me a lot of money. Well, I, I am really curious, you know, uh, Jonathan Hickman had a huge span and scope to his Avengers story. I mean, that was a lot of books. I wonder how long this is charted to be. You know, because I, I don't know, I don't know what stamina people have for for this level of storytelling. If it's another twelve issues, I think the world can handle that. I'm not sure the market can handle seventy five issues of this story. I was just going to say three years. I'm like, yeah. Mm. <laughs> the rate it's going, no, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's sad as some of the books that they're going to launch are ones that I would have been interested in. I would have picked up Excalibur. Number one, but with this status quo and the, you know, the island and them living on the island and death meaning nothing, that takes all interest in Excalibur away from me. Yeah. So, uh, Wayne, uh, a book I think you are interested in is Once and Future by Kieran Gillen. Uh, Book number three came out this week from Boom. Tell me about it. So, I need them to make a movie of this story and cast Helen Mirren as uh, Grandma. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can see that. So this book has been just amazing beginning to end because it is not at all what I expected. I originally jumped in on this after you had talked about issue one, and I expected the typical King Arthur story, and this has not been it. I expected the main character to be the guy that you meet first, you know, issue. But really, the grandma is the main character, and everyone else is just reacting to her. And that's exactly how it should be, because she is the most awesome comic character I've seen in a long time. You know, grandma has no problem just pulling a gun on someone. Grandma has no pro- problem shooting her grandson to make him do what she wants. And, and yet, it's just not what you expect out of a book. Well, I love the bomb that she throws in this book. And after it explodes, her grandson's like, what's that spice? <laughs> you know, the bomb is spicy. Why is the bomb spicy? Because, well, you know, there's some garlic thrown in there. There's some uh, woods, you know, wooden stakes. You, you, you never know what kind of monster you're going to be fighting. So you throw in everything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, know, you throw in something the- that's going to work against the vampire. Something's going to work against the werewolves. Something's going to work against the, the, the zombies. I, it just cracked me up. Yeah, I I loved her explanation there and the uh, follow-up of, uh, it's like, how do you kill a vampire? A stake through the heart? Yeah, and a stake through the heart kills a lot of other things, too. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I continue to really enjoy this book. Um, It's one of those books that I get super excited about. But, you know, I'm so used to not buying boom books. I forgot all about this one until I saw it on your pull list this week. Yeah, issued the... uh, Issue two was one of those that I didn't catch on the list until I saw it on your list. That's yeah. kind of the downside. Yeah, because there's literally no other boom books I'm buying right now. But, you know, Kieran Gillen has got such a spectacular voice. Uh, I really am enjoying these characters. I love, you know, that that Grandma is the the experienced, you know, hero in this book. Uh, and, you know, he's he's writing her with... You know, grandma doesn't move fast. So there's a scene where her grandson picks her up to get her out of the room in time. Um, You know, it's not that she is necessarily a superhero. 
her superpower is her experience and her knowledge. Um, but you know, she is having to rely on the physicality of her, of her younger grandson, uh, to get her through this. But the, the story as, as well written as this book is, the story is equally well told visually, uh, by Dan Mora, who does the illustration. And I just, I, I'm really enjoying every part of this book. I enjoy that. It's surprising me. You know, because like you said, you know, you pick up a, a, a King Arthur book, you expect King Arthur to show up and, you know, it's all glory, laud, and honor, right? But, yeah. uh, but you, know, you expect King Excalibur, Arthur, but I uh, so they you expect Excalibur, but they continually don't give you Excalibur. Well, and they, uh, and they, they dismiss Excalibur, right? Yeah. And, you know, the, I, I love that Gillen clarifies the myth throughout the book. So, you know, he's like, oh, look. The sword and the stone—that's got to be Excalibur. And she's like, "No, uh, Excalibur is is the auspices of the Lady in the Lake. This is most likely." And she rattles off the name of another sword. You know, I just—I I love that sort of. You know, no, no, you're conflating myths. <laughs> you know, this is how it actually goes. I this is this is a great book. I I, I can't recommend it enough. One of the things they started talking about in this one, maybe they kind of mentioned it in others, but they're really pushing it, is that the story has caught them. So she keeps making comments about things like, you know, his date just happens to be the woman that they need. Oh, well, you're caught up in the story. And that's something that I'm kind of curious where they're going with. Yeah, the story, the story, capital S, is a force. Right. It is. And, and maybe even a, an entity of some kind. Uh, and, and, you know, so I mean, you're right. That, that is absolutely interesting the way he's presenting that. Yeah, it's a great book. It's a great book. Now, you know, if Paul were here, we would ask him uh, what books are coming out next week. But none of us have that information. So you can blame Paul for not being here to tell you which books are coming out this week. This is this is secret information that's only available to Paul. We don't have that information available to us. That's no, right. It's nowhere else. Hey, it's Paul calling in because I'm not on the podcast this week, and I don't know that I've ever called the ideology of madness hotline before. We actually say we'll call people back. Do we call people back? That seems weird. But uh, I'm calling in because I am sure they didn't even bother looking up the next week's releases on the podcast this week. So I'm here to tell you what they are. Uh, it's actually uh, kind of a slow week, but uh, if you're a DC Comics fan, Black Adam, Year of the Villain, number one, comes out next week from writer Paul Jenkins. Um, and it's a, a, a spinoff of the Batman Superman book that's going on right now. In fact, Batman Superman number three comes out next week as well. And the newest issue of Action Comics, issue 1016, and from Marvel Comics, it's a big Spider-Man week. You get uh, a brand new issue of Amazing Spider-Man, issue 32, which features uh, Spider-Man 2099 and leads into the upcoming 2099 books coming out later this year. Amazing Spider-Man Full Circle Number 1, which is a $10 book, um, but features a ton of great writers and artists, including Jonathan Hickman, Al Ewing, Jason Aaron, Chip Zdarsky, Kelly Thompson, Nick Spencer, um, art by Mike Allred, Chris Boccolo, Mark Bagley, Greg Smallwood, Chris Sprouse, Cameron Stewart. Um, just it, it seems like a, a pretty big deal book. Um, and uh, I don't know. We'll see if anyone checks it out with me. And uh, Amazing Mary Jane, number one. The, the first issue of Mary Jane's new ongoing series comes out next week from writer Leah Williams and art by Carlos Gomez. 
So all that and more next week on Funny Books, and we will talk to you then. Well, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, give us a call at 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And uh, maybe you could tell us what's coming out next week. That would be great. That would be really helpful. You can guess where Paul was. <laughs> Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.